So we started a new series last week called The Supreme Life. And we're looking at the book of Colossians. And this, just to kind of give you a recap, if some of you missed last week, the book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul would go on his missionary journeys and he would stay for a period of time and he would write at you know, different locations. But this particular book is a unique one. It's a unique one because he wrote it while he was in prison. And he wrote it to a church, the church at Colossae, a church that he did not plan. It was planted by one of his, his buddies, Epaphras. So he doesn't know the people personally, whereas a lot of the other books he wrote, he knew those, those people in that church personally very well. Um, and so in this book, he's writing to them, and we've entitled it The Supreme Life. And part of the reason why we, we, we titled it this is in you know, a Roman city, you would have all of the different Roman gods that would be a display in that city. We said last week with the Romans, they had two thing, you know, kind of two rules for their, um, for their worship. You could worship any god you wanted to. That's number one. Number two, as long as you said that your god wasn't the only god. That's where they kind of drew the line because they had all these different gods that they would worship. You had the sun god, the moon god, the you know, god of rain, whatever it was that they would worship. And so whenever Paul, the apostle, would come through the city and he would say, there's one God, Jehovah, and his son Jesus came to this earth to die upon the cross for your sins, they would be like, whoa, you're claiming an absolute, you're claiming one God over everything, this is against what Rome, you know, Rome has stood for, you're going against all of the ancient Roman gods, and what would happen to the Apostle Paul is he would face persecution, he'd get stoned, whipped, thrown into prison, time and time again, he would face this. And he's telling these believers at Colossae, he's creating in them the, the first part of this book that we looked at, this theology of who Jesus is, why he's so important. It's, and he said in that verse 15, in all things were created by him and for him. Everything that exists on the face of this earth was created by Jesus and for Jesus. And one of the other questions that we said that he raises that we're going to look at a little bit more today in this is the Colossians were wondering, you're a messenger from God. You're doing God's work. Why are you being persecuted? Why are you suffering? They didn't get it. Paul, if you are God's messenger, why are you in prison? And doesn't that discourage you? That's what we're going to look at at the end of chapter 1 this morning. And we'll be in verses 24 through 29 as Paul answers that question. You know, this is such a rich text that I want to walk you through. And it's kind of hard to put it in a nice little tight outline because Paul just kind of starts throwing things at them in the first part of this chapter in a, in a stream of consciousness that he has on his brain is almost like, oh yeah, that's good. Let me write that down and say that to him. Oh, that's good. So he's just kind of like throwing things at them to motivate them. And so rather than you know, presenting this passage to you in, in like a nice little outline form, I want to kind of read our Bibles together and kind of be like your tour guide as we go through. Like if you know, you're on a, on a big city tour bus, you, anybody ever been on one of those buses before where they kind of stop at the different locations and the tour guide kind of, you know, look over here and you'll see this and look over there and you'll see that. 
Um, I kind of want to do that this morning as we walk through the book of Philippians. Unfortunately, we don't have that uh, little rope that you can pull by yourself on the, on the tour bus to, to get the, the tour bus driver to stop. But if you stick around after service, you have more questions, uh, we can talk through that after service. So we'll just meander our way through this passage. And then when we get to the end, I've got some reflection questions that I think are pertinent for us right now in this season. All right, you guys ready? Ready to start the bus? Ready to go? All right, here we go. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. All right, stop. Let's stop the bus. I know we just left the station. We just made the first turn. But let's stop it right here and see what Paul is saying to the Colossians. That's confusing them, and maybe you as well. You rejoice in your sufferings, Paul? What? What are you talking about? Was Paul some kind of sadist? Or was he just so spiritual that he didn't care about trivial things like freedom or hot food or creature comforts? Was he just so consumed by scripture that he was oblivious to what was going on around him? No, Paul loved all of these things just like the rest of us. He was human. He enjoyed all of the creature comforts that the Roman world would offer at that time. But here's what Paul knew. And if you want to write something down, here's something to write down. Joyful sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. Joyful sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. Paul loved seeing people come to Christ even more than he loved his personal freedoms and his personal comforts. And if he had to give up the latter to get the former, he would happily do it. That's what he's saying here in this verse when he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. You rejoice in suffering when you love what you gain through suffering more than what you are giving up in suffering. Let me illustrate it this way for you. I've heard this compared sometimes to childbirth. Before the birth of our first child, Callie, People always told me, oh, childbirth, it's such a beautiful thing. It's so beautiful. And having been present now at the births of all three of my children, I can tell you that the process itself, I don't know that there's anything beautiful about the process itself. Honestly, it's, it's kind of scary. You know, especially as a, as a first-time dad, you're, you're always kind of looking around at it is the doctor seeing this? Are they, are they catching this? You know, should, should I like call them in? Or, you know, what, what's happening here? Especially us, it was a little nerve wracking because Callie had the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck. And so that was you know, kind of nerve wracking for us as, as first time parents. So, you know, you, you kind of stand there wondering, you know, when does the beautiful part start? Because, you know, I'm not seeing it here in, in this process. You know, who would go through all of this voluntarily this process and call it beautiful. I would say almost every mom in here holding that baby after the birth, that beautiful little one would say, I would, I would. They would wave away the thought of their suffering and say to their child, if that's what it took to bring you into this world, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. You guys catch where Paul's going with this verse? This is how he's saying, this is how I feel 
about you spiritually. I rejoice in my suffering because of what I know it is producing in you. I'll do whatever it takes, pay whatever price my body has to pay, go wherever I need to go for you to know Jesus. Joyful sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. So let me ask you, is this how you feel about what's going on in your life for Jesus? Is this what you feel about what's going on at Bethel Community Church? Are you rejoicing in sacrifices you have made because of what you see God is doing through those sacrifices and the people of our church and the people in our community? Or do you enter this season with a dread, wondering, what's God going to you know, convict my heart to do next? Or are you one of those like, oh yeah, Paul, I know suffering firsthand. I had to get up out of bed at 8.30 this morning on my day off, had to wrestle with the kids, get them dressed, get them fed. Then I open the door and it's raining outside this morning. Had to drive to church in the rain. Then when I get here, I have to walk 50 yards from the parking lot to my seat. And then the, 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 they sang a couple of songs that weren't my favorite this morning. And I don't like these series when we talk about sacrifice. I just want to come to church, hear inspirational message, connect with friends, have my friends, you know, have a good time, and then go home. Is that too much to ask? Paul says, far from being discouraged by these sufferings, I rejoice because I know what my suffering is producing in your heart. Let's keep going. Get the bus, get back on the bus and go. Next verse, Paul even takes it up a level. He says, and in my flesh, I am filling up what, it's, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now on the surface, this is somewhat of a staggering statement. What could be possibly lacking from Christ's affliction? Didn't Jesus say from the cross, it is finished? Hasn't he done everything necessary to save us? Yes, he has. So why would Paul say something was lacking? Well, in one sense, the work of salvation is complete. Yes, it was completed by Jesus' work upon the cross. Jesus has done everything necessary to save us. But in another sense, the saving act is not complete until we hear about it and we respond. Until those who have never heard the gospel message, they hear that message and their hearts respond. Martin Luther famously said, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one ever heard about it. Or Carl Henry said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Paul says, Christ's suffering are not complete in the fullest sense until you hear and respond. And if that takes my suffering to bring that to pass, I'll gladly go through it. I'll gladly do that. You know, this teaching is a rather hard one and an unpopular one. This is not, you know, what church strategists would tell you. This is not how you build a church. Suffering is the means by which God has ordained to bring salvation into the world. We want to bring it through blessing and prosperity. We want to look at it and say, look, 
Follow Jesus and he'll make all of your wildest dreams come true. And there's a lot of churches that will preach that message on Sunday morning. But Jesus told his disciples right before he left, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Just like the Father sent Jesus into this world to bring salvation through suffering, Jesus sends us into the world to extend his salvation through suffering by telling of the great work of what Jesus has done. You know, the gospel, it spreads under, under persecution more than it does prosperity. If you look at the nations of the world that are having revival and people are, the, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. It's the nations of China and believe it or not, in Iran, of all places, there is revival taking place through the suffering of the saints. We see the prosperity in the United States and what is happening in the United States. Churches are closing up. There's a new religious affiliation called nuns, not the, you know, not the ones that take the vows of the Catholic faith. Nuns of meaning no religious affiliation. These people that are nuns that say, I have no, you're not, they're not saying they're atheists or agnostic. They're just saying, I've got nothing. I, you know, I want nothing. It's the fastest growing religious group in the United States. I follow nothing. They call themselves nuns. Um, this is the world in which we live in America. The gospel spreads through persecution, not prosperity. So let me ask you, what did it cost you to receive the free gift of salvation. Nothing. Jesus paid it all. But what are you willing to do now to do what it takes for people all over the world to know that message? Isn't that what we owe the gospel? I often ask you to consider, where would you be without Jesus? Think about that question. Where would you be this morning without Jesus? You think about how even fringe, let's just say you only come to church every so often, just fringe the, the impact that Jesus had on your life. Maybe it was through the life of your mom or grandma that her love for Jesus spread in and impacted your life then think about what Jesus has done for you personally. Where would you be without Jesus? Had Jesus chosen not to come and die for you, where would you be? You'd be in the exact same place millions of people are in the world without someone like you telling them. That's where you'd be. How, do, how could we receive the extravagant grace of the gospel and do nothing to get to those who have never heard. We owe it to them. We owe an incredible debt to the world. So Paul continues, let's keep going here. He says, for this reason, he said, of which I became a minister. I like the way the CSV says it here, but that's why I put this one up here. He says, I have become its servant. Because a minister, it makes it think like it's some kind of professional position. Um, but I like the, the word servant. That, I think that describes us better. And so let me ask you, as we, we stop the bus here, we think about this verse for just a moment. Is that how you could primarily see yourself as a servant of the gospel? 
Would you mainly see yourself as the servant of the church or the beneficiary of the church? I'll ask that question again. Do you see yourself, would you mainly see yourself as the servant of the church or the beneficiary of the church? Do you come to this church primarily saying, what can this church do for me or what role am I supposed to play in the church? Nothing wrong with benefiting. We as a church want to be a blessing to you and your family, but which is your heart's primary attitude? Are you primarily a servant of the mission of the church or a beneficiary of the ministries of the church? All right, let's keep going here. According to the stewardship from God that was given to me from you to make the word of God fully known. That word stewardship means individual assignment or like a commission, something specifically given to you. God doesn't just have this great biblical mission for the church at large. Yes, he does through the Great Commission. He also has an individual assignment for each and every believer sitting here today. It reminds me, thinking back to God working and moving in my life as a young believer in middle school and high school, convicting my heart of how I can serve, how I can give, God has a specific commission for everyone here. You know, we sang this song this morning from the Old Testament, from Micah chapter 8. This uh, the song, I'll read it here. It says, He has told you, old man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. So we sang that song this morning. You are singing scripture. You know, this commission that God has given to us, Micah kind of breaks it down for us. We can kind of take this framework of that song you sang this morning. And here's your commission. Here's what God wants us to do. The three things that we are to be held accountable for in this life, to do justice. And justice for us sometimes typically means at just being fair and not stealing. That's kind of how we look at justice. But in the Bible, to be just also means using what you have for the reasons God gave it to you. Blessed, I am blessed to be a blessing. I'm not blessed for my own personal consumption. I'm blessed to be a blessing. Lostness in the world requires something of us. Some of you are really motivated by suffering around the world, which is great. You know, taking care of refugees and clean water and all of that stuff, that's something that Christians should definitely push into, that Christians should absolutely be a part of. But don't overlook the greatest kind of suffering, and that is eternal suffering. To do justice is to use my time, my talent, and my treasure for the purpose that God gave it to me, realizing that God will hold me responsible for what he has given to me. To love mercy. The prophet Micah turns on the crank here as he cranks up the, the, uh, the um, 
pressure here. He says, not only does God want me to do justice, he wants me to love mercy, or we could say showing mercy. Showing mercy to those around us. Why? Because we are recipients of the greatest act of mercy. Someone who struggles with mercy, with showing mercy, is someone who has never understood how God has been merciful to them. We are to be people that show mercy. And it says to walk humbly with our God. What gave the church and Acts the ability to transform the world was that it was a group of people without money, without power, but simply walking humbly and obeying their God. Think about this. The, the people that Paul was writing to in the Roman world were some of the, the slaves, the servants, people that were not of wealth, but they loved Jesus. They walked humbly with their God and they transformed the Roman Empire. Many of them are just like us. We think, you know, Pastor Robert, I, I work an eight to five job. I'm, I'm not that wealthy. I'm not that, you know, I don't have positions of power or influence. How am I going to impact this world? Moment by moment, relationship by relationship, walking humbly and obeying your God. You know, one of the, the big moments for us was graduating seminary and figuring out where we were going to go minister and God moving in our heart to move to Orlando. And the same happening with Pastor Jay, moving to Orlando to start this church, walking humbly and obeying the word of the Lord. What is it that God requires of you to act justly? Use your resources, your time, your treasure, your talent for the purposes God gave them to you, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That is what Paul is talking about when he says, you have been commissioned. You have been commissioned right here in your neighborhood, right here in your city to do these things. Are you fulfilling your commission. Let's keep reading through a few more verses here in Colossians 1. We're almost done. Paul says, My commission was to make God's word fully known to a certain group of people, and I'm doing it. Verse 26, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. What is this mystery Paul is talking about that was hidden for generations that we now see? It's Christ. That Christ is what the whole thing, what all of history is about, every Old Testament prophecy. All of the Old Testament, it points to him. That all our unanswered questions and yearnings for justice find their fulfillment in Christ. Verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not only that Christ himself is a mystery, but that Christ in you. There's something different about us. What is that difference? It's that Christ is in us. Others should look at our lives 
and see something that can only be described as mysterious. What is different? Neighbors and family should look at how we give, how we forgive, how we show mercy, and they should say, what's up with that person? Why are they different? I want to know what, why they are, are different. They're a complete mystery to me. I don't understand them. The way they respond to the world. I, I've used this story multiple times. And I come back to it because it's one of my favorite stories in history. A man named William Borden was a young man whose family was a part of the famous Borden Milk Company. William went to, had all of the, the wealth that the world provided. He was a graduate of Yale, went to Yale, um, graduated from Yale. And God started working on his heart. He had the opportunity to take over the silver mines in Colorado. The Borden family had multiple things they had their families in, and their fingers in. And he was, had the opportunity to take over the silver mines in Colorado, have all kinds of wealth. And he said, you know what? That's not what I want to do. That's not my purpose in life. He said, I want to go to the Uyghur Muslims in Western China. We hear about the Uyghurs today some. I don't know if you guys have caught, but you know, the, the China, you know, the, this Olympics has been a little bit controversial because of all of the controversy behind the Uyghur Muslims in China are being persecuted by the Chinese government. They are enslaving them. They, you know, a lot of the shoes and clothes that we get from China come from, you know, slave factories from the Uyghur Muslims. If you are not aware of it, go read a lot of that. Even some of the, the, um, the uh, organ harvesting, yeah, are coming from Uyghur Muslim people that China on the black market is selling them. So it's been a little bit of a controversial Olympics. And then as I was reading this story again, it struck me, man, this controversy of the Uyghur Muslims that we're facing today, <laughs> God was calling a man, William Borden, back in the early 1900s to go to them as a missionary. He went to Egypt, which was a safer place to learn Arabic, to kind of learn the culture before, you know, heading out into the, you know, the, out into the uh, Western China. When he got to Egypt, he was only there a few months when he contracted meningitis and he died. Just a few hours before he died, someone asked him if he saw this whole coming to Egypt and this whole missionary journey as a mistake. This young man who had the education, had the ability of having all the wealth of the world, coming from a famous family in the United States. He was so weak he couldn't talk. He grabbed a piece of paper and he wrote, no regret, no regret. He's buried in an out of the way place in Cairo and his very plain looking tombstone simply has his name and the dates of his short life. And the phrase on that tombstone it says, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. 
Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Paul tells us it's mysterious. What's so mysterious? It's that Christ lives in us. And as Christ lives in us, we are different from the rest of the world. The world does not get it. And to them, it's mysterious. They want to know more. Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Notice here verse 29, struggling with his energy that works powerfully within me. Ask anybody that has walked with God for any length of time, and they will tell you this. The best way to deepen your relationship with Jesus is to help others discover theirs. The best way to deepen your relationship with Jesus is to help others discover theirs. There is nothing you can read, nothing you can listen to, nothing you can memorize that will grow you quite as much as pouring yourself out into someone else. That's why discipleship is so important why sitting around in groups, in small groups that we have on Tuesday night in person and online, it's so important, the pouring of your life into someone else, fulfilling your commission for others. Notice that Paul says, my goal is to present you mature and perfect in Christ. And this is part of the goal of our series, the supreme life. See, I know one of the greatest competitors and Paul's going to talk about this through Colossians that we talked about a little bit last week. The supreme life, to have God supreme and number one in your life, one of the greatest competitors is your money. And honestly, when we talk about money, I get a little even apprehensive and squeamish. And if you know, if you've been here at Bethel any length of time, I don't talk a whole lot about it because of that. You know, it's, yeah, because I, I don't want you to feel like I'm afraid or trying to manipulate you or guilt you into giving, but my goal is to, as Paul says here in this verse, present you mature in Christ. And I know that there is nothing as dangerous as money in your life. Jesus says you cannot love or prioritize or obey the kingdom of God and love money. Because money, the love of money takes number one, numero uno in your life. And God says, I don't want your money. I don't need your money. I want your heart. I want to be number one in your heart and to get you to, to go from a position of this to this. I need your heart. I need your heart. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, says, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels like that is that he is finding his place in it, while really it's finding its place in him. This is why Jesus talks about money more than anything else. Jesus knew that no matter what else you have to say until your commitment to Christ is affected in that area, your faith is a sham. And so Paul says, my goal is to present you mature in Christ. To be mature in Christ, he must be supreme in every aspect of your life. Your time, your talent, and your treasures. 
So we're pulling back into the station as we debrief on this tour that we did through these five verses. Let me give you just a couple of things to think about. Where and how are you filling up Christ's affections? Do you show in your life marks of sacrifice? I told you this year we're talking a lot uh, about money. And here's a very practical application question. Has your giving affected your lifestyle? How can you say he is first in your life if other things haven't changed, haven't been sacrificed to make room for the kingdom of God? Where and how are you filling up Christ's affections? Maybe you are ready to get involved in the mission of God. Maybe you're ready to accept that commission that we talked about with Paul. So where and how are you filling up Christ's affections? Number two, are you fulfilling your commission? He has shown you do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Can you say that you are doing that in every aspect of your life? Have you ever asked yourself the question, why did God give me this earning potential? Why did God give me this intellect? Why did God give me this, whatever it might be for you, this extroverted personality? Why did God give me the ability to do fill in the blank? Ask yourself that question. Whatever skill or attribute that you have in this life that you look at as an asset and say, how can I use that for the kingdom of God? Why did God give this to me? And how can I use it? What I know about the book of Acts, it was a group of people with no money, no influence, who changed the world because they were tuned to God and they walked humbly with him. Number three, is your life so different from those around you that it can be called a mystery? Is your life so different from those around you that it can be called a mystery? Don't you want to go, don't you want to get to eternity and be able to look back with Paul, the apostle, and be like, it was totally worth it. All of it was totally worth it. Do you want to sit around one day in heaven and think, man, I have so many regrets. So many regrets. I chased so many things. I chased the corporate ladder. I chased this. I chased that. And it brought me nothing. I think the older we get, the more we realize how life, how short life really is. And we start to realize we're here not to invest in all of the worldly creature conference, but we're here to invest in eternity. Is Jesus and his kingdom getting your first and best? Will you end this life one day like William Borden? And will you be able to say, no regrets?